This is good old boy Mike from Sips, Suds, and Smokes podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. And now it's time for our feature presentation. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 204, Toys from Generation X. Chris McBrien, that's Derek Myers. Our producer Sloth is behind the glass, making sure things run around here. It's Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Now, this week, uh, we are going to, uh, we're going to really get into the nostalgia this week, me and you, Derek, because we're going to actually go back and take a look at some of our favorite toys from when we were kids back in Generation X. It should be a lot of fun. But looking before we do that, what's that? I said I'm looking forward oh, to it. Oh, it's going to be fun. But before, before we get into the toys... What is new in the world of pop culture for you? You always have lots of time on your hands. So what have you been up to? Watch your I, love how you, I love how you say that. Like I sit around with nothing to do. I don't have a job or anything. It's like, it's, it's always like, it's, it's almost well, like a diss, but not really. Not really. Like, it, I don't mean it that way. I certainly don't mean it that way. It just seems like every week you have all these things. You're like, oh, I watched this movie and I watched that movie and I listened to this and I did that. So they're like, what did you do, Chris? I watched Meatballs again. That was it. Other than that, I was I didn't have time. <laughs> so that's kind of the way it goes. Fair enough. Uh, well, this week is is. I would never episode. diss you. No, I understand. I'm just teasing you. But uh, no, you're right. I did have a chance to watch a few things. So uh, first up on my list is a movie from 2005, and I know that is a year that is outside of your comfort zone. So I think it's safe <laughs> to say you have not seen the movie Kinky good, Boots. Good observation. I have not yeah. seen Kinky Boots, and it, cause okay. it took place, you know, outside of 1989. So. Sure. So uh, Kinky Tell Boots was, was a movie that came out in 1980. Uh, pardon me, in 2005. Mm-hmm which uh, had a fair amount of success and was eventually turned into a Broadway musical. Cindy Lauper uh, wrote the song. She ended up winning a Tony. I think she ended up winning a couple of Tonys for it. It was very popular. And, um, the uh, the premise of this movie, for those who maybe aren't as familiar with, maybe you've heard of the title, but don't really know anything about it. Um, a, a young man whose uh, family owns a shoe factory. He inherits the shoe factory at the beginning of the movie when his father passes away. He really doesn't have the know-how to be a shoe guy and is not really sure what to do with this failing factory. And um, in the first 10, 15 minutes of the movie, uh, circumstances are such that he realizes if he can find a niche market and, and change the kind of shoes they make, that this factory might survive. And sure enough, he meets a drag queen and he realizes that this drag queen has to wear ladies boots, even though technically has the body of a man. And, um, he realizes there's this opportunity for this niche market. And so they change the factory from making, you know, sensible shoes into making kinky boots. And, uh, it's pretty good. It stars Chiwetel Ejiofor, uh, who is, you know, pretty famous these days, Nick Frost, who is half of the crew that does Shaun of the Dead, as well as a slew of other British actors that you'd probably recognize, but maybe don't know the names of. It was good. I really enjoyed it. And, uh, now I, I kind of want to find a copy of the Broadway musical so that I can, uh, give it a go. Very cool. Uh, second one I saw is one that you watched last week. Uh, the recent Netflix release, Don't Look Up. Oh, yes. I, so, I, 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 I wrongly labeled it as a documentary last well, week. Well, 
Yes and no. I can totally understand where <laughs> yeah. you're coming from on that one. So it's, I mean, it's it's clearly a satire. It plays against things that are happening in our real world and our real life right now. Um, it's it's kind of scary how accurate I felt some of the reactions of some of these characters were when presented with some of these extreme circumstances. Um, I, I've talked to some people who have seen it. I, I mean, a lot of people have watched it, and some love it, some hate it, some don't get that it's a satire, some. I feel it hits a little too close to home. Uh, there's a there's a slew of emotions from people who have seen this. So uh, I, I would recommend it. I think it's going to get nominated across the board for awards. I think you're going to get awards for most of the big performers, the actor and actress awards, probably best picture nomination, probably a best screenplay nomination, possibly a director nomination. I don't necessarily think it's worthy of winning any of those awards, but it won't surprise me to see that the, the talented people that put this together receive nominations to acknowledge their contributions. So anyway, it's got a great cast and uh, I think it's worth watching. So I would strongly recommend this one. I thought it was good. You know me, I always like to relate things back to Gen X. There was, I couldn't help but thinking when I was watching that movie that it reminded me of Network from 1976. With a little William bit. Holden and um, Faye Dunaway, especially um, Peter Finch, when he just yes. starts going, you know, like, I'm, I'm mad as hell and I can't take it anymore. And this whole idea of, you know, what's the truth, what's not the truth and stuff. So I don't know. I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, Reef- I got one more. Oh, hey, you got more. more. Of course. Go so ahead. Um, I, I think I mentioned on last week's podcast, I got a 90 day subscription to Apple TV for Christmas. So I'm madly binging as much stuff as I can before I have to decide if I want to actually keep this or not. And so, as I mentioned last week, I, I binge watched the season one and two of Ted Lasso before our last show, and it was great. Uh, strongly recommend that. This week, I had a chance to binge the first season of, uh, of another show called For All Mankind. So they've released two seasons so far. The third season, I believe, is scheduled to come out in the very near future. I think they've already completed it. Uh, the premise for this one is, what if, in 1969... The Russians beat the Americans to the moon. What if the first man on the moon was a Russian? And so with that one important detail of world history changed, how would world geopolitical things have changed? What what in, in the U.S., what in North America, what in the world would have been done differently if America had lost the first step in the space race? And it's based it's, – it's one of these revisionist history type things where they, they use real people, real events – uh, the names of all the real astronauts. But by just changing that one important detail at the outset of the first episode, how would things evolve differently? And the the season, I think it's 10 episodes. It covers basically 10 years from like the late 1960s to the mid to late 1970s. So they do cover a fair, uh, fairly broad scope of events. And uh, it was great. I loved it. Again, no real big, huge, flashy movie star names in it. But a lot of people, when you watch, you're going to go, oh, I recognize that person. Oh, I, I know that person from this other show I liked. So uh, I'm really looking forward to binging through season two this week. It's called For All Mankind, and I got it on Apple TV. Nice. So, Chris, have you had a chance to watch anything this week? Um, a couple things pop culture-wise for me. We recently came back from Christmas, from our holidays. And one thing I forgot to mention was, uh, over the holidays, my my youngest son, his birthday takes place in late December. So we celebrate that, you know, obviously right around Christmas. And so this year I was like, well, what do you want to do for your birthday? He's like, I want to go bowling. I'm like, all right, fine. Wow. So, so we took him bowling because he likes, you know, that whatever. So we went there and I forgot to mention, I got Whamageddon at the bowling alley. <laughs> <laughs> Which, again, I didn't even know what the Whamageddon was until you explained it to me. I think like the year before or something like that. But I heard Wham's... Uh, was it Last Christmas? Is that the name of the song? Yeah, I, uh, yeah, got yeah me. Last Christmas. Yep. So once you hear that, you're Whamageddon. I got Whamageddon in the bowling alley. And then speaking of my youngest son, 
I usually at, at bedtime, I usually like to, when I, when I put him to bed, I, I, I read to him. You know, it's a, it's a little time that we spend together. And I usually try, like, try to find like a novel. Like I read, um, and I mentioned this on the podcast before, I read Charlotte's Web to him one time and it was just so good. And so I was like looking everywhere for like another novel type thing that would be appropriate, you know, to read to him. Mm-hmm. And um, so I found one that, w- it's a Canadian author, uh, Gordon Corman is his name. And he's quite a prolific author. Yeah. Where the and Sidewalk Ends, is that Gordon Corman? I, it might be, he's written I so many. So. so this one is called, This Can't Be Happening at McDonald Hall. Okay. This guy, Gordon Corman, wrote this book when he was 12. And like, wow. I, unbelievable. You read it, you're like, you cannot believe a 12 year old wrote this book. Like, it's just so good. It's such great stories and great characters. And it's just, it's just, it's just so good. So I read this to my son and he loved it. He loved every minute of it. It was just great. Um, but Gordon Corman is one of the great Canadian authors, I think, of his generation. And the cool thing was, is that when I was, you know, when I was young, when I was like 10 or 11, I was really into this book and I just thought it was so good. It was like, it came out, you know, in the late seventies, you know? And so, um, I had the opportunity to meet the author back in, I want to say 1981. I actually met Gordon Corman. He, wow. he, he came to our local library and did this like book signing thing and everything. And I got a chance to meet him and talk to him. And it was just, I found it very, very exciting, but, uh, I was able to impart another part of Gen X onto one of my kids. So I thought that was pretty great. So nice. Another thing that I like to impart onto my kids every week is one of these. Here's your dad joke of the week. So Derek, since we're talking about our favorite toys this week, I thought I would do a toy dad joke. Okay. I promise to keep it clean. Really? Okay. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So Derek, back in the eighties, where did toy stores keep their Terminator action figures? Ooh, I, I have no idea. I'll be back. That was lame. I'll be. They were an I'll be at the back. Is there any chance you might have a documentary for us this week? Derek Stocks! Derek Stocks! Party time! Excellent! Colonel Sanders. Slow down there, Chris. Was he finger-licking good? Oh, my, my, my. I can think of 11 reasons not to like that. (laughs) Two of which you know are salt and pepper. Oh, I heard about this. Oh, my God. I don't know if we can be friends anymore. But I appreciate the effort. Back the truck up. Hold it. You know, more than just white dudes. Two of my favorite things, Star Wars and beer. Right, Derek, since we recently uh, celebrated Christmas and, you know, I've got young kids, so, you know, we had lots of toys and stuff going on. You and I got talking, we're saying like, what were some of the great toys from our generation, you know, from Generation X? And so we thought we'd we kind of put this together as a show and we come on and we would talk about some of our favorite toys. Um, I don't know if you want to start us off. It's not a top five list. We'll just go back and forth and talk about these. I'd like to actually, I think I'd like to start if you don't mind. Well, let me, so before you jump in, yes. let me just sort of explain. So for some shows, especially when we do like a top five list, we do our homework, we have our lists. Because we had discussed this as being more of an open dialogue, I've got sort of this random spattering of notes of things that I can I can throw at us for this episode. And, and sort of what I did was I, I made notes chronologically, sort of thinking, well, when I was this old, this is sort of the toys I liked. And then when I got a little older, these were the kinds of toys I liked. And then when I got a little older, these are... So, why don't you lead the conversation? But that's sort of where I'm going to want to 
sort of jump in occasionally and sort of say, well, yeah, as we as we move from the 70s to the 80s and even into the 90s, this is sort of where the the progression of, of my interest in toys went. So I want to give a, throw it over to you. Perfect. I want to give a little bit of a shout out. There's a Facebook group. I want to say it's called Toys from My Youth. And I, and I belong to that group. And it keeps coming up on my timeline. And like some of these things are just so reminiscent. But the one, one thing, so I, I when I think back to when I was a kid, I think back to like some of the most exciting Christmases that I had, the best gifts that I ever got. And 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 so like, you know, a lot of kids when they're young, and this this is this spans multiple generations. Kids love dinosaurs. They just, they just do. You know, like my kids love dinosaurs. I love dinosaurs when I was young. I don't know about you, but Derek, but yeah, absolutely. When I was a kid, All I kid, kids I, love dinosaurs. I thought dinosaurs were just the coolest thing ever, just this idea of them and everything. And so my grandparents one year. I want to say I was probably seven years old. They got me this dinosaur playset, and I've since gone back and researched it. And it was by a company called Marks. And so I'd recommend that you look it up online, you know. But this Marks dinosaur playset, <laughs> the one thing was it had these like two mountains, and that had this like rock bridge that went across on the top that kind of connected the the two mountains. You had to kind of like pop it into place, and then there was this plastic sheet that you put down that was basically just had like a river drawn on it right but then you had all these like dinosaurs and one of the cool things was too is they also came with little cavemen and even as a kid I was like hey come on humans and dinosaurs did not coexist what's going on with this you know it was kind of silly but the thing was the dinosaurs were like like they were really small but they were unbelievably detailed and then on the bottom, like the belly of them had the name of the dinosaur written. So it would say like Stegosaurus or like Tyrannosaurus Rex or whatever it was. And like, I loved this playset so much. And I, I would take the, the dinosaurs and I would paint them with like model paint. And I just, like, I, I just loved that playset so much. So recently I went on and like, you know, as I'm sure a lot of people do from our generation, went on eBay and started looking like, hey, if I wanted to get some of these, you know, just as a collectible or whatever my god are they expensive like so it clearly was a rare set or something that you know i'm not the only person that had it because it seems to be quite nostalgic but they're very very expensive but the marks dinosaur set was man it was it was probably the my favorite gift that i ever got as a christmas gift and uh, so i just wanted to mention that one nice so very much like you I, most of my Christmas memories as a child is opening a ridiculous amount of presents. And as a young child, it was mostly Star Wars stuff because I was born oh, sure. in the mid 70s. And so as a young kid, especially as a young boy growing up, Star Wars was everywhere. I have a feeling we're going to be talking about Star Wars toys a lot. Well, I, I, I figured you would have that covered. So I'm mm -hmm. only going to sort of touch on it a bit. Now, uh, uh, I have a brother who has been on a couple episodes of our show. He's a couple years younger than I am. Mm -hmm. And so what would often happen for Christmas is we would get a ridiculous amount of toys and my parents were kind of willy nilly with like who got what it wasn't that this guy got a, a Darth Vader and this guy got a Luke Skywalker. Although I mean, technically it was, but at the end of the day, the idea was the two brothers would share all these toys and play with them together. And, and we did, I mean, especially with star Wars, you had hundreds of characters. So we didn't need to have two Luke Skywalkers and two Darth Vader's and two Chewbacca's. It was like, as long as we had one in the set, we were cool. So yeah, I can, I can remember getting, action figures and vehicles and play sets and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, like I think if, if they made a Star Wars toy of it, there's a pretty good chance it was in my house at some point growing up, whether it was from Star Wars, Empire or Return of the Jedi. Although I think 
most of the Star Wars stuff I got was probably Empire because I think I was probably around seven or eight ish when that came out. So I was like old enough. I was still young enough to want to play with the toys, but old enough to understand like uh, like how to uh, take care of them and how to how you would you would create you know, your own adventures and stories with them and stuff. You would try and re recreate scenes from the movies using the toys. Um, but yeah, I, I had a ridiculous amount of star Wars action figures and play sets and vehicles and all that stuff. And of course, like every other toy, they, they ultimately got broken or you lost them or you, you grew up and, and they either my parents threw them out or I threw them out. I, I think literally the only thing of my original star Wars toys that I still have is my original, Boba Fett action figure and he is super beat up because of course Boba Fett was everyone's favorite so we got played with the most so mm -hmm. from a collectible point of view he's not worth anything but from a nostalgic point of view he's worth everything which oh, is sure. why he's the only one that I still have and I can literally see him right here right now he's on my bookshelf just across the room from me speaking of your bookshelf I, I should mention over the Christmas holidays we, you and I were able to get together and we went to a comic book store and then I went out uh, to get into the vehicle or something and, and my son was in the store with you you guys stayed in there for a minute and then you came out. I didn't realize what was going on, but my son went and bought an Empire Strikes Back figure when you were in there and he, and he hit it and he gave it to me at Christmas time. It was Bosk. Yeah. The bounty hunter, which is like such a cool thing. So I'm glad that you mentioned the Star Wars figures and, and we'll come back to it in a minute, but I, I want to mention Star Trek for a second here. Now the series, the original series ran uh, from 1966 to 1969. So it was before my time. Right. But the thing was back in the seventies, like we didn't have like, you know, cable TV and you know, all these channels, but they started to run Star Trek in syndication in 1974. So every day after school, I would come home in the seventies and I would go out and play road hockey because I'm Canadian. You know, I go and play road hockey and then I would watch Star Trek from five to six o'clock every single day and then have dinner. And in the 70s, this really became a thing. Like Star Trek and syndication was a big deal. And they had they came out with these eight inch figures from Mego was the company that made them. Mm -hmm. Now, Mego also made like Planet of the Apes and I, they even did Happy Days figures. Yeah, they, they did like DC superheroes as well. Superman. Yeah, yeah, they did like Spider-Man and stuff. You're right. Yeah. Um, the Happy Days ones, you would think I would love those ones. But I mean, in all honesty, like I love Happy Days. But I mean, like, what are you going to do with, you know, Happy Days figures? <laughs> like, what are you going to, you can't really play with them. Like, I don't know, it was kind of weird. But um, these Star Trek ones, the thing about these Mego, uh, they, they were, I want to say like they were like Barbie dolls, but they were like, you know, kind of like similar, the idea. They were like bigger than the Star Wars figures that, you know, came later. But their heads looked just like the characters like Kirk looked like Kirk Spock looked like Spock it was incredible and they came with these baby blue accessories so like the communicators and their phasers and stuff were all baby blue I, I don't know why it was baby blue um maybe there was a sale on baby blue resin back in 1974 <laughs> maybe <laughs> like the, the Megos purchasing department was like all over that I don't know what it was and then they had these cloth uniforms as well but the other thing was there was you could buy like an like a like a set to play with them and it was the bridge of the enterprise and it was basically this oh this this kind of like you know six-sided figure you know that you would open this hexagon you would open it up and it was the bridge of the enterprise and it had the spinning teleportation machine and it had these red and green buttons so what you, it had a false back so what you do is you would put like kirk in it and you would spin the thing and then push the button and it would stop and he'd be gone 
because he'd be hiding in the back. And then you would spin it again and then push the other button and he would pop up again in the front. And that's how you, you like beamed him there and back and stuff. And like even the, the captain's chair and Uhura's seat and everything was all baby blue. Again, back to that stuff. But those Star Trek Mego characters, man, that was a big part of my youth. I loved Star Trek when I was a kid and I've played with those things over and over and over and over again. Probably a little bit before your time though. Yeah, I never had anything like that. I know exactly what you're talking about. I I mean, I'm most uh, fan of the Big Bang Theory TV series and they had those mm-hmm. characters. There was a whole episode dedicated when they got that transporter thing and it broke. And so, yeah, I know. And I, I love the robot chicken, which I talk about all the time. And they use those Mego characters all the time in their animation. Um, so, yeah, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. But, yeah, a little before my time. Um, so, yeah, with me, I found that. So this is, again, a sort of the, the timeline progression. So. When I think back to my childhood, it was all Star Wars toys. Yeah. But then after after the Star Wars movies were done, like after Return of the Jedi, like that was it. We weren't getting another Star Wars movie no. for 20 years. And there was no expectation of getting one. Like the series no. was done. It, there was closure. The trilogy was over. There was yeah. closure at the end of it. It was done. Like- yeah. And, and I think that as a child, even I realized once I had the toys for Return of the Jedi, it wasn't long thereafter that I probably started to lose interest in a lot of them because there wasn't that excitement factor of, well, I can't wait for the next movie. Um, and that was around the time when there was a change in the laws in the US where um, they were able to change the what is advertised on TV and how it's advertised. And so you suddenly had cartoons that ended up being 30 minute advertisements for products. So you had the GI Joe cartoon, you had the Transformers cartoon, you had the Thundercats cartoon, and all these were were 30 minute advertisements for their product. So you would watch an episode of GI Joe and they'd be like, here are all the new GI Joes coming in for this mission and they're using all these vehicles. And then what do you know, next week they're all available in the store. And so I can remember progressing very quickly from Star Wars toys to GI Joe toys because you were you were able to watch GI Joe on TV every day after school. Um, and, and then you could get a sense for the, it wasn't just here's an action figure. It was, well, the people who were putting the show together were able to give all the characters a backstory and a voice and a, in a, you know, some sort of interesting quirk or characteristic. Um, and it tied also right in with the Marvel comics, which I think is how they sold the idea in the first place was, oh, you know, we're, we're doing this to sell comic books. We're not doing this to sell toys. Wink, wink. Of course you're doing it to sell toys. And so again, as a comic, you know, as a kid who enjoyed comic books, I was able to read the comics, watch the cartoon, and play with the toys. It was like this this holy trinity of take my money. And um, again, with with the Star Wars movies, the characters were limited to the, mo- the, the, the toys were limited to the characters you saw in the film. And once the movie was over, that was it. But when you've got a cartoon line, you can just make more cartoons and introduce a whole slew of new characters. Hey, season two, here's a slew of new characters that you've never seen before, go buy more toys. And so it was just year after year, birthdays and Christmases, one after another, it was just more and more and more G.I. Joe uh, toys and figures. And because the G.I. Joe and the Star Wars toys, the the action figures were about the same size, you could easily have them play in the same world. You could have them share the, share the various vehicles and play sets and all that because everything was sort of to the same scale. So those were sort of the ones I always had. And I know at the same time, you also had He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, but those figures were a slightly different scale. And it wasn't a cartoon that ever really – like I didn't really – the cartoon didn't appeal to me and I just thought the characters looked kind of stupid. And so I know my parents got us a few of those, but they never really were a big part of my, uh, my childhood toy set. It was all star Wars and GI Joe. I, I never was really into GI Joe. I have some more star Trek stuff, but I, I have some questions for you. 
Did you ever, sure. have you ever heard of, or did you ever play with Micronauts? I've heard are? of them. Uh, no, I have not. It was not something that appealed to me. So I remember my parents one year for Christmas, I got a bunch of Micronauts. And I, and they, they, if you're not familiar with them, they're like these little action figures, but they're really skinny. And yeah. their, their body was kind of like opaque. You could almost like kind of see through it. So there'd be like a, like a red see-through thing with like white arms and a white head and like blue and things. And then they had like this kind of like these intersecting kind of pieces that you would put together and build like a big space station. And then there would be like a like a car that you could like put the other pieces in all together and it would shoot like a this kind of missile thing out of the front of it and stuff like that. And I got I'll be honest, like as a kid, I, I always thought they were kind of cheap. <laughs> it was like kind of a cheap, yeah, like cheesy kind of set. But I've recently, like I said, that uh, that group that I'm in, the Toys of My Youth on Facebook, apparently these things are like quite popular with collectors. Not really sure why, but I, you know, they were kind of cheap. And then this is way before your time, but Six Million Dollar Man. You remember that? Like you've heard of that show? Yeah, yeah. A friend of mine had some of these, uh, some of these action figures. Yeah, it was, it was definitely. I remember watching the show, but I was very young. I never had it. Like, like, like I, I never had the, the, the action figure. They were like Barbie dolls, really. But I remember one of my friends when I was a young kid. I was like six or seven, and he was like my next door neighbor, and he had one. And the thing was, was you could look, it was kind of interesting because you could roll the arm up, first of all. So like the one arm was just like a regular kind of Barbie doll arm. And then the other arm had this like skin on it that you could like roll up. And then inside it, there were like these microchip kind of like looking things and you would take them out and put them in. And then you could look at behind the head of the, which by the way, it was like a Mego thing because the face on this doll looked exactly like Lee Major's. Yeah, it looked just like him, but the it, it had you know the two eyes, but the one of the eyes was actually this like big round almost thing that you looked at from the back, and you would look through the eye, and it was like kind of like a telescope in a yeah, way. Yeah, I was gonna say it was like a bionic eye telescope. Yeah, and then the idea yeah. was it was his bionic eye from the yeah. show. So, but again, that was one that I never did, and it came with like this whole cryogenic chamber that he could go in and stuff. I never really had that one, but. The Star Trek stuff I wanted to mention because I was like a big Star Trek fan in the in the you know when I was a kid. So the Enterprise, you know, an iconic part of the show. So back in the seventies, they basically had this toy that they made in like it was like an Enterprise toy, but it was really just like this repurposed helicopter from the sixties. And so what they did was they took the helicopter out and they swapped it out and they put in a little plastic enterprise and it was attached to this like long thin metal arm and it would just go around in circles. And that's all it did. It would just go around in circles. And then you had this little control and you could control it to make it go up and down and up. And the idea was that you would lower it so that you could try and pick up this crate with this little hook that was on the bottom of the Enterprise, because they did that in every episode of the show. <laughs> you know, the Enterprise would swoop down and pick up a crate, you know. But that was one thing, like, I remember I had that as a, as a, as a kid, and I, I, I don't know, I, I remember I really liked it. So that was another Star, Star Trek thing for me. Yeah, I don't know. I never, again, as a kid, I really wasn't into Star Trek. Again, the show being uh, on the air before my time, and I didn't really come to it in reruns until after Star Trek The Next Generation. So I wanted to have a like like an actual 
uh, Enterprise so bad that I could just fly around and go out into the backyards. And this one you couldn't because it was attached to this arm and this centerpiece. So I remember I actually, I don't remember if I went and got like some clippers or something and I broke it. And I actually dismantled it so that the Enterprise came off so I could take it out in the backyard and like fly the Enterprise around. I wrecked my toy, but you know, <laughs> whatever. I got to play with it more, so that's what I did. So speaking of wrecked toys, yeah. so you and I talked a little bit about this. So um, with the Star Wars action figures, as with most of the action figures, they, they're durable to a point because obviously they're children's toys. They need to be able to, to hold up to some rugged play from young children. Uh, and like most children, I was rough, probably rougher with my toys than I should have been. And occasionally things broke. Oh, sure. And, uh, you know, my parents obviously not wanting to, uh, my parents wanting to make sure that we were, um, you know, not upset when a toy broke. And at the same time, not putting themselves in a spot where they felt they had to shell out more money to buy us a new or replacement one. But let me tell you, in the 70s and 80s, Parents weren't doing that. Um, I can remember one of the very first toys I had that broke was one of the action figures you, you just bought. It was uh, the, I think he's called the Death Star Commander from the first Star Wars. He was one of the very first action figures. That Death came Squad Commander. Don't know why That's they the ever guy. called him that. Yeah, he's in like a gray uniform. Where's he's got like a Death black Squad helmet. In, you know, but yeah. Yep. It's like a, he's got it's the like big a, helmet. Yeah. Yeah. Like a certain, it almost looks like a bowl on his head. It's yes. black, yeah. but it doesn't cover his face. And for whatever reason, the head broke off. And that was one of the first toys I can remember that I had that I actually played with a lot that broke. And I remember being devastated. And my dad was like, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. And the next morning when I woke up, uh, his head was back on. I was like, that's fantastic. Well, what I learned later was my dad had just used a little bit of crazy glue and put it on. Now, the thing is, the heads on all the characters swiveled. But, you know, my parents being my parents knew that if they didn't put enough glue on this thing, the head was going to pop off. So there was a lot of glue on there. And now the head didn't turn at all. And at first I was a little bummed out, but you know what? I realized I never really turned the heads of the character. So it wasn't a big deal for me. And that's one of the first action figures I can remember that broke and that we sort of had an easy fix. But at the same time, I understood if the heads pop off, dad's going to just glue them. So I was a little more careful with toys after that. But I, I can remember a couple of years later, one of my buddies who was also into GI Joe toys uh, he got into wrestling, like really into wrestling. Mm -hmm. uh, and it wasn't something that I ever, like I, I, we talked about this before. I'm not, I wasn't really a big WWE no, wrestling, like but he got obsessed into wrestling and you could buy wrestling figures. They were like 12 inch hard rubber. Yeah. And you would they like smash them against each yep. other. And you could buy the WWF ring. And, yeah, jump, was and ring. it was, yeah. Well, again, his parents, not as well off. Uh, you know, they weren't buying them toys nearly as often as say some of the other kids in the neighborhood. So he just took his GI Joes and he pretended they were wrestlers and he had them doing all the wrestling stuff and he would do various wrestling moves with his action figures. Well, the GI Joe figures were actually pretty brittle and he was constantly breaking them, trying to do like figure four leg lock and the legs would pop off or some arm thing and the arm would pop off. And what ended up happening was, uh, and again, as a little kid, you don't understand this right away, but the character, the actual action figures, it's like five or six different pieces and each piece comes together in the torso and is held in there with like an elastic band. Yes. And that gives the character yeah. a little bit of flexibility. You, around you, the waist. you mentioned this last yeah. week. Yeah. And what ended up happening was my buddy, when he was using them all to, to do wrestling and stuff, the, inevitably many of them, the elastic inside broke. And his parents, much like my parents, thought, well, I'm not buying this kid new toys. And once his dad realized that it was just a little elastic band inside, 
he used to just replace the elastic band. The problem was <laughs> Not the when same. they're built in the in like the factory, yeah. the elastic they use is basically like a little washer, like you would use in, in like a plumbing fixture. <laughs> right. Very small and it's very rigid. But his dad just went like to the to the stationery store yeah. or probably from his work and just brought home a box of Here's elastic bands. Band. So put an elastic in and all of the all of my buddies G.I. Joe figures suddenly were like an inch taller because their legs like would hang wobbles. over yeah, their arms would hang out and their head would just bob like dangle like it had no 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 neck cartilage in it and so that again that was a real eye opener for me so I'm like okay good for wrestling though I guess they get, oh like, yeah and he loved it suplexes he was, and stuff once he realized it made the characters easier to do wrestling moves he was del- he thought it was great elastics but his dad would quote fix them but for me, I was devastated. I thought, wow, I don't want any of my characters to be all, you know, they look like marionettes without the strings. I was like, okay. So again, it, it was a lesson learned for me. Don't break your toys. Treat them better because if they break, this is the solution mom and dad have come up with. And that wasn't the solution that appealed to me. So The G.I. Joes that look like marionettes without the strings. I don't know why I find that so funny. It's- this poor kid probably he thinks this is great, right? Just, I don't know why I find that so funny. Sorry. <laughs> I want to tell you a little story about, about the summer of 1977. We're going way back. That was the summer. Again, I just love Star Trek. I watch it every single day after school. And so my family was planning a trip down to the to the States, to the United States. We were going to go down to Rhode Island and then down to Cape Cod. And so this was an opportunity for me to like, to go shopping in the States and buy stuff that I couldn't buy here up in Canada. And one of the things that I wanted to buy more than anything else were these Star Trek communicators. I was like, oh my God, they're selling communicators. It's just like the, the show this is going to be so good. So what I did was that whole summer of 1977, I did everything I could. I did every chore, every job, whatever for anybody around town to save money. I would get like, you know, whatever money I would get, I would save it. I put it in this jar. And I saved all my money. And I'm pretty sure, and I don't know, I'd have to ask my parents. I'm pretty sure I was a little bit short by the time that I got there. And they probably kicked in the rest because they knew how much it meant to me because I'd been saving all summer. But we went there down to the States and I was able to go to some, you know, department store in the United States and I was able to buy the Star Trek communicators. Well, you can imagine my surprise when I bought them and they were basically two light blue walkie-talkies with some stickers put on them. Jeez. <laughs> and they had like the walkie-talkie thing where the antenna that you pull up and then they were just walkie-talkies. That's all they were. They took like nine volt batteries. And yeah. then you would just talk to somebody on the other end. Hey, can you hear me? Oh yeah, I can hear you. This is your beam me up kind of thing. <laughs> but it was like, that was like my my ultimate toy that I wanted more than anything else in the whole wide world. And I think everybody has one you know, a toy that they just wanted more than anything else. You know, it goes back to that, that Christmas movie, A Christmas Story. Remember the, the mm-hmm. guy wanted the, yep. the, the BB Ralphie gun. Ralphie wanted the BB gun, yeah. I wanted those Star Trek communicators more than anything. I saved all my money and I got them and then I was like so disappointed. It was just like, just like Ralphie, but. Oh man. Oh, damn. No. I, I, I never really, uh, I don't have, I'm sure that I had that kind of desire for toy for specific things, but honestly, thinking back, nothing, nothing immediately comes to mind. I think, because fortunately, you know, my parents were do- doing pretty well in the 80s, like I think a lot of people's parents were. And so, you know, 
whenever we sort of wanted stuff for Christmas, we got like my parents really spoiled us to a ridiculous amount. And looking back on it now, it was, you know, grossly excessive. But uh, as a kid, you're just like, oh, my God, I got every toy I possibly wanted. And of course, Santa brought it. You don't realize it's mom and dad potentially for for many, many years. But uh, at least while you're at an age where you're playing with toys. So Um, one of the other toys that I had sort of growing up that, that never really got old was just straight up Lego. And like, that's a toy that kids mm-hmm. continue to play with today. And I think one of the things that that is timeless about Lego is, yeah, you usually buy them in sets. Like this is the Lego set. Like I remember one there that was a Lego set that built a castle and you could, you came with the instructions. If you followed the instructions, you would build a castle that was shown on the box and it came with the little knights and the little figures and all the rest of that. But you didn't have to build a castle. And if you chose to do something different, you had a ton of Lego bricks. And so I can remember every year for Christmas getting new Lego sets and just my brother and I would both get Lego sets um, from relatives that lived farther away that maybe didn't see us as often and didn't know what kind of toys we wanted or didn't know what we already had. They didn't want to buy us the second thing we already had. So they knew Lego was always a safe bet. And we ended up having this gigantic toy chest it was probably i don't know what the like it's probably a it was a little um like a box that you would put blankets and stuff in like it was probably about two feet by two feet by two feet and it was a big chest with this big heavy lid and we just put all of our lego pieces in there regardless of what set they might have come from and this thing was probably half full of lego pieces of every shape size and color you could imagine and i can remember many 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 nights my brother and i just digging through there, looking for pieces, building stuff. Sometimes we would play together where we would be like, hey, you build a ship, I'll build a ship and we'll fight. Or or you build this and I'll build this and they'll work together to accomplish something. And other times it's just, today I'm going to try and build the best space station I can build. And he's like, well, today I'm going to build the fastest car I can build. It's like, okay, you do your thing, I'll do my thing. But we would just share all these Lego pieces. And it, it's not like today where Lego has become more um, – and at least from what I uh, what I'm seeing is Lego is appeal, trying to appeal more to like the collector market where you say, oh, you want the Star Wars Death Star? Here's the 10,000 piece Death Star. It's eight hundred dollars. There is a and, difference between Lego then and Lego yeah. now. They, well, and no I question. Can, I can remember Lego when I was younger. They only came in certain shapes and that was it. Like yeah. these are the 20 shapes we make. We make them in every color you can imagine. But this is it. We don't make round pieces. We don't make triangular pieces. It's like if you want to build something that has those shapes, you need to use your imagination and be creative. Mm-hmm. Whereas now it's like, oh, well, this Lego set is going to replicate something that you're familiar with. Uh, again, I'll go back to Star Wars. There's, there's so much Star Wars Lego. Here's the Star Wars Death Star. Well, it's it's a big round circle. So there's a lot of pieces that are rounded and corners and yeah. that are made specifically so that you can build this thing. And when you build it, and I've seen them in the Lego store, and honestly, when I go to a mall, not that I go to the malls very often anymore, but I always pop in the Lego store because some of those displays are just mind-blowing. But in my mind, I'm thinking as a kid, if I got that as a kid, that's great. You can build your Death Star, but after a while, you're going to be like, okay, I'm sort of played out. I want to build something else. And so many of the pieces are so specific to this one thing that they don't yeah, you necessarily, can't use it for else. yeah, they have very limited replayability. I mean, as a kid, you, you, you know, your imagination will run wild. You'll figure it out. But that was one of the things I was like when I was a kid was there were, you know, there weren't these 700,000 pieces to choose from. It was like, this is it. You have a very limited scope. And again, I can remember night after night playing and just digging through that toy chest going, I need a piece that's two by three. That's red. 
and you would just dig through till you and I'm like, I need six of them to build this thing. And you just dig through till you found them. It's like, okay, there you go. So yeah, for and I still have boxes and boxes of Lego in packed away in my crawl space that, you know, eventually I'll give it away to somebody, but it's one of those things that it's just it's timeless. I I'm glad that you mentioned the 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 castle Lego set because as I mentioned the remember when I when I was talking about that um the Marks dinosaur set was like my mm-hmm. favorite thing I ever got. The second favorite Christmas gift I ever got. I was 9. All I wanted for Christmas that year was the Lego castle set. It was yellow. That's the one I got, the yellow yeah. one. The yellow one still with have the turrets it. and stuff. Still oh, still have it. Still, you have, still the have the original instructions. Oh my God. Uh, oh my god, I want to see sure this thing. I could rebuild it with the pieces I have. I don't think I had the little knights anymore. I might have it had little horses and stuff. The, the, it had the drawbridge. It came with a little yes. box that you could roll up the yep, drawbridge you could, with. You yeah. turn it and oh. that's the one I have. But the thing was, it probably took me like 30 minutes to build that thing. But then I spent a year playing with it. Whereas now it feels like like it's more about building like than it is actually playing. Like it's it's almost like a model now yes lego is like yes. a model like you you build it once and you and then you just look at it it's just like so elaborate and it's unbelievable back then you'd build it and then play with it i would play with those figures in the castle and have battles and it, and then and then like you said tear it down and turn it into something different you know you could you know i i could i, I remember i would build things like i would build cities you know, in towns and things like that. And I would just play over and over with this stuff. But now you build it once, you're done. I mean, like, another thing I had too was, you ever, I don't know if you ever, you'd have to go back and Google this maybe, but there was like these space Lego sets. Oh, I had all of them. They were my absolute favorite. I loved them. Like, they were so fun to play with. And I I recently went back and I looked up some of them online. Oh, they're so expensive. Well, they're very expensive, but they're also like really like, basic and kind of cheap like there's not much to them like when i think of like what my kids have um my 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 oldest son did a lego um uh tie fighter from star wars this thing mm-hmm. was as elaborate as you can imagine and it took forever you know it took him for a while to build it but it's built it's a model sitting on the shelf you don't play with that thing it'll fall apart yeah. yep. whereas you know, the stuff that I played with, like like those space Legos that I had, they were like little cheap little things and like kind of moon landing stuff with like a little, you know, uh, car thing that would go, go around on the moon. But I played with it over and over and over. Like I just played with this stuff. Whereas now Lego you don't play with. So I don't know. Just Yeah, I still in, and I can remember when I got a bunch. And I mean, at the beginning of the show, I talked about my my love of NASA stuff in the For All Mankind show. Um, as a kid, I loved everything space related, NASA related and and all that. So my parents went out of the way to make sure I got some of those space uh, Legos for Christmas. I can remember the ones had like the um, the they were sort of cone shaped rocket boosters for the backs of the rockets. Yes. And I can remember that was the only piece that came in the whole set that wasn't a square, a yep. cube, a rectangle, like every other Lego piece always was. And I was just blown away. I'm like, Oh my God, these are round. Look, they're like little cones. And it, it just, you know, it, maybe it was, a for what was to come. like, it was like, it was like the earth with like a, a circle around with an arrow. I'm yeah. Like, it, it had like the little ships circling here. Yeah. And if you watch the, the Lego movie that came out a few years ago, one of the characters is the blue astronaut guy. And he's always running around going spaceship, spaceship, spaceship. Like that's, he's that guy from that, that pack. And they, they came, of course, in red, white, and blue. 
the three astronauts, the colors uh, of the astronauts. And uh, no, I loved it. I mean, and of course they come with the little oxygen tanks and as little yes. kids, you're like, these yes, are jetpacks. And so yes. all the Legos. And I remember putting the jetpacks on the Knights from the castle set and they would fly around. It was, <laughs> oh, of again, course. all the Lego sets interacted with each other. So, you know, you just let your imagination go wild. So no, I love, and, but I want to, I want to talk to you sort of about the evolution then of where mm. toys gone. Uh, so we've reminisced a little bit about some of our favorite toys and I didn't even get into things like the Transformers. Oh, I still got a few more I want to talk about. Episode. But I want to sort of talk a little bit about the the evolution of it. So eventually it got in, you know, uh, by the time I was old enough to sort of stop playing with toys, it became things like video games. You had video game consoles, mm -hmm. you got into like home computers, the Commodore 64, the Macintosh, things of that nature. Eventually then you got into like the Nintendo, the Sega, the PlayStation. Uh, and again, I, I was never really into that stuff. Again, because I think of my age, I was getting a little older. It didn't appeal to me. But a generation later, 15, 20 years later, you have people that are basically our demographic that become adults and realize that they have this nostalgia for the things they had when they were children or things they always wished they could have when they were children. And I can remember sort of the first sort of grown up toys I can remember were the sports action figures that Todd McFarlane uh, put out. So Todd mm -hmm. McFarlane got made his bones as an artist. He's a comic book artist. He drew Spider-Man. He created the, the character Spawn. Spawn, yeah. And that was uh, that was big when all the, you know, again, that's a whole other show. But McFarlane's also a sport nut. And he ended up with a ridiculous amount of money and nothing to spend it on. He ended up buying all those Mark McGuire home run balls. And he created a company where they basically made models of real life sports heroes. And... I think originally they weren't sure how successful this line would be and it just went gangbusters because it was all the people that as little kids were collecting baseball cards and hockey cards and thought, wow, wouldn't it be nice to have an action figure of these? And now they could, but because you're now an adult, you're not going to play with it. You just, you want it as like a model or a showpiece. And I mean, almost every one of my friends, me included, ended up buying a bunch of these McFarlane ones. You wanted the guys that were on your favorite team. You wanted your favorite players. You wanted whatever. And, and you know, if they went to the all-star game and hey, now they're available with an all-star jersey. I want that too. And so that was always my sort of first memory of now how toys became for became acceptable for adults. It's not that you're playing with it. It's just that they have become more show pieces. And as you mentioned with the Lego, as we were both talking about the Lego, the new Lego is designed in large part for people like us, for the grownups. And once you build it, it's now a showpiece. I'm not expected to play with the Death Star. I'm expected to build it and put it somewhere in my house. And when people come over, go, "Isn't this a cool model of the Death Star?" Like it took me, you know, ten hours to build this. It's it's fifty thousand pieces, um, and and that's sort of where a lot of the the toy lines have now gone. Is this? It's not even so much that all toys are for children anymore, as much as you you definitely still have toys for kids, but a lot of the toys, a lot of where the big money is, is toys for adults. And it's it's an interesting evolution of toys. No, that's true. I want to be a kid again for a minute here. Sure. Battlestar Galactica. I've mentioned before. I love this show. Uh, every Sunday night back in like you know 1978 when it came out, every Sunday night eight o'clock, I would watch this. It was my favorite show. Now you have to understand too. Back at that time, just the phenomenon that Star Wars was back in 77, 78. And, and it led to so many knockoffs. But and my favorite was Battlestar Galactica. And the thing is, like as much as I love this show, let's it, it, be honest, it was a Star Wars knockoff. I mean... Oh, for sure. The Cylons were just basically stainless steel Storm versions Wars. of Darth Vader. You know, of the triangle mouth and everything. 
So the thing is, though, you know, what kid that would watch the show wouldn't want to have toys of this show? But the thing with the Battlestar Galactica toys was, like, they they didn't always really look like what you saw on TV. Yeah, so no even, even the branding was bad. So let, let me explain a little bit. Like, they had these, like, small action figures, kind of like the same size as, the same idea as the Star Wars ones, right? And they looked pretty much like the, the TV show characters, but they didn't have any vehicles that were sized for those figures. They had spaceships, but they were small. Like, they were too small for the action figures. And although the spaceships themselves looked like the TV versions, they came with these little tiny action figures that would go in them that looked nothing like the TV characters. The Cylons that went in the Cylon Raiders were these, like, dark gray figures, and they were obviously from some molds or something from some other toy line. Like, they didn't look like Cylons at all. And the little colonial figures that went in the, the cockpit of the Vipers, they looked nothing like, like Starbuck or Apollo. And I mentioned this before, but the Cylon Raider ship, it had these little red pegs that would shoot out the sides of the ship if you pushed a button. Right. And then one kid in the States, got, um, he got a, like a missile lodged in his throat, and he had to have it like surgically removed. And then another kid died from choking on his uh, the, the missile and, and his parents like sued Mattel. So then the manufacturer disabled that shooting function and the little pegs just, just stayed in the wings. You know, you push a button they didn't, didn't shoot out, right? And I mentioned a little while ago, I was able to get uh, a Cylon radar or Raider. It was missing the, um, the pegs. So obviously it was from the original version. But the thing was, Battlestar Galactica also came out with these like oversized figures. They were like huge, but they looked nothing like like the characters. So there, there was only two of them. There was the Cylon, and it kind of looked like a Cylon. But then there was one that they called a Colonial Warrior, and it didn't look like any character on the show. It had gray hair, but it didn't look like uh, like Lauren Lauren Green. So it was just I don't. The whole branding on this show was just bad even the backs of the action figures the branding wasn't right it didn't even have the proper fonts and logos of the tv show like it had like these red and yellow letters for the show on the on the card like it, it, the tv show used this this Battlestar font i'm pretty sure it was actually called Battlestar font there, you know there just seemed like a real disconnect between the the Battlestar galactica toys and the Battlestar galactica show Anyway, I just wanted to mention that. So I, I'm wondering how much of it was just cost cutting measures and and I how quick was. how quickly could they get things into production at a reasonable yeah. cost in order to turn a profit? Because although you as a little kid might realize these things, your parents certainly don't. And I mean, even if my parents did, they wouldn't care if they're like, My kid wants this and he won't shut up till he gets it. Okay, fine, we'll get him one of these things. They're not gonna care that, well, you know, it's the wrong font. I better not buy it. Um so I, I'm sure that was a large part of the decision making. I mean, I don't know for sure, but I'd be kind of surprised if that wasn't uh, if that wasn't the reason behind it. Yeah, and mentioning you know just kind of just trying to rush things out and get it out there. You talk about those Star Wars figures. Those Star Wars figures. Those are the toys that changed my life. Like I mean, they had the single biggest impact on me of any toys. You know, and the thing is, you got to remember, like back in 1978, there was no home video, there was no internet, there was no cable TV. The only way you could experience Star Wars once you left the theater was to recreate, you know, the adventures with these action figures. So what happened was the movie came out in, in May of 77. It was like a humongous success. 
so much that it caught everybody off guard. So that Christmas of 77, they still didn't have any toys out. So they had what was called the empty box campaign. I don't know if you've heard about this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But basically, you got a thing in the mail that said, there's action figures that are coming, and this is your this is your gift. They're, they're on the way. It was just this empty box. And I remember even when the, 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 um, the figures came, came out, and then they would have like some sets and stuff you could play with. They obviously rushed some of this stuff out. I, so when I was a kid, I had the Cantina play set from Moss Eisley. It was basically just this like yellow piece of plastic with like a cardboard wall behind it. Even the Jawa playset that was supposed to be like the the Jawa vehicle, which is a big piece of cardboard. <laughs> and there was a Death Star play. There were two Death Star playsets. There was one that was round and it had these like paper walls that kind of were perpendicular. And then there was one that it kind of looked like a slice of the Death Star, I guess. It had it this was like little, almost looked like a tower, multiple yeah, levels. Yeah, and yeah. it had like the mini trash compactor in the bottom with that little. Yeah, it was all thing. little pieces of styrofoam in the bottom to represent the garbage. Yeah, yeah, it had the Dianoga little yeah. snake in the bottom, and but the thing was about this set was the vehicles, and this is what to be separated these toys from everything else. Like unlike the Battlestar Galactica toys, these fit, like the action figures for Star Wars actually fit into the vehicles. You could fit them into the X-wing fighter. You could fit them into the the Millennium Falcon or the um, the the uh, the Tie Fighter or the, yep. the Land Speeder or whatever it was, and that's what just opened up so many things. And for a kid that loves Star Wars as much as I did, and most kids did at that time, you could just recreate everything from the movie and and have your own adventures. I, I think that like my the adventures I had with those action figures, and I had the Death Squad Commander. You know, and I had Luke Skywalker and Ben Kenobi and they would be in the backyard. We would just have all these like adventures with them. And especially, I think for some kids, like, you know, I was kind of a nerd. (laughs) Didn't have a lot of friends. (laughs) I know. So this was what my childhood was, was playing with these things and recreating the movie that I love more than anything else. So I think the Star Wars figures were the single most important toy of my life. No question. No question. And and like you, like, I mean, it was, it was, for me, it was Star Wars. And then Empire Strikes Back, I was 10 when that movie came out. So I was really into those action figures as well and collected them. But then um, by the time that uh, Return of the Jedi came out, I was kind of off of it. I didn't collect them anymore. Yeah. Yeah, so. no, that, that's, I, I mean, I'd have to agree. I think Star Wars was, for, for any younger listeners I, I mean you may not just realize uh how how big a deal this thing was oh in the late God. 70s and early 80s but yeah yes. every every kid was obsessed with it uh, i mean boys more so than girls although we did have a lot of girls in our neighborhood that played with star wars toys but again back then it was certain toys were were clearly marketed and designed these are the boys toys these are the girls toys um but yeah for for young boys at that age especially like in my house it was two young boys growing up together, my brother and I, it's like, yeah, we, we had all the star Wars stuff. And exactly like you said, I can remember, uh, very fond memories thinking back to going to the park. We had a park near our house and all the kids would bring their star Wars toys there. And you would work, you would try to remember all the scenes from the movie because you'd only seen it once or twice because you had to go to the actual theater to watch Mm -hmm. it. And you would try and recreate the the movie and you would do it. And then you'd realize you missed a scene and you'd be like, okay, well we're just going to have that scene happen. And you'd play it out. And yeah, it was tons of fun. Or you'd say, well, we forgot that scene. Let's make up a new scene to sort of make up for that. Okay. And cause not no one kid had, all the stuff so that was sort of like oh well this guy has the 
that red two seat cloud car thing from Empire Strikes Back. I'm like, well, I never had that. So when we got to the part where you had to go to Bespin, the guy who had that, it was his turn to start there telling the story. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay. So no, certainly a lot of fun. Um, one thing I, I want to mention, because I, I, I'm guessing we're rounding towards the end here is yeah. there are two television shows that if, for people who are, you know, like us, nostalgic about toys or want to know more about toys, there's two shows that I want to recommend that people check out then. So one of the ones we've talked about a few times before, it's on Netflix. It's called The Toys That Made Us. And I think it's, Three, I think there's three seasons and each season has four episodes. So there's, I think, 12 episodes each one. Each episode runs about an hour. And each episode focuses on one specific toy line. And they do a deep dive. They talk to the people who helped create the toys. They talk the phenomenon of those various toy lines and some of the, the problems they had, some of the successes they had, the longevity of these toys. And so, like, they did one on Star Wars toys, one's on He-Man toys, one's on My Little Pony, one's on Hello Kitty, one's on Barbie. Uh, like, it's all the different toys you can think of, all like the big brand names from the seventies, the eighties, and even into the early nineties. It's on Netflix. Strongly recommend you check it out. The only, uh, the only criticism I have about that show is the editing is kind of weird where they, they, they don't focus on any one person long enough to really get their whole story. They do a lot of jumping back and forth between two and three different people that they're interviewing. And mm -hmm. it, it can be a little disjointed and sometimes even hard and awkward to follow. But for the most part, it's pretty good. Um, another show that um, that I watch, it's on the the Super Channel, and in Canada here we get it. I get it on, I guess, I think it's the, called the Jinx Channel, G-I-N-X, uh, which is mostly about video games and stuff. But they have this show, it's called the Jay and Rob Toy Show. And it's two guys from uh, Ontario, from London, Ontario, not far from where we live here. They do 30-minute uh, episodes, and they do basically like we do with our podcast. They pick, an, they pick a relevant topic every week, something to do with toys. And they just they do a, a deep dive. These two guys gush about their toys and they both have these ridiculously large toy collections themselves. And so they show off things from their own collection. But they've also over the last few years gone out to various toy conventions and done a lot of interviews. And so they have a lot of toy creators, toy manufacturers, people who were instrumental in the creative process of these toys from the 70s and 80s that they've got these long interviews with. And so they like they show you various segments on these episodes. And they also do like a spotlight on every episode where they they've reached out to their fan base and said, do you have a big collection of something? Let us know and we'll we'll spotlight you on our show. So they did one where a guy had like a ridiculous amount of G.I. Joe toys and he walked around with this little mobile and he showed off his collection. Another guy had like He-Man stuff. And uh, again, it's not every episode is going to focus on a toy you like. But they really know what they're talking about. They're clearly experts in this field, and they don't just limit it to old stuff. They do a lot of older toys, but they also do a lot of like brand new toys from like the last five years. And they really focus in on this phenomenon of toy collecting, especially with the stuff that's designed, clearly designed for adults. But yeah, check it out. It's called the Jay and Rob Toy Show. They've got two seasons out, so they got about 20 episodes. It's really good. So if toys is something you're into, check it out. Cool. One thing I wanted to mention before we move on to trivia was was uh, a good friend of mine. He's really into Transformers. Is that something that you ever got involved in? Because oh, I was like kind immensely. of immensely. So yeah, I, I had, I I had so that. many of those Generation One Transformers, and I actually yeah. recently sold them like about five years ago. Uh, I met a guy at a at a game store, and we were got we got to talking, and I told him I had boxes of all these old Transformers, and so I had him come over and help me appraise them because I told him I was going to try and sell them. 
And that's all I told him was, I'm going to try and sell them, help me appraise them. And then once he gave me the full appraisal, I turned to him and I said, you give me 50% of this number right here, right now. I'll help you carry them out to the car. The guy's like, point me to the nearest bank oh, machine. Yeah. And I just sold them. And I've, I've been telling people that. And they're like, oh my God, what'd you have? And how much you sell them for? I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I might have been able to get more money for them, but they've been sitting in the boxes collecting mm -hmm. dust for 20 years. And this guy was an avid collector. So I thought he's going to either keep them for his personal collection and enjoy them, certainly more than I ever did, um, or he's going to turn around and sell them to somebody else who is going to enjoy them. So I had no bones about it, but uh, there's a couple that I kind of regret selling off just, you know, looking back. But for the most part, nah, I'm good. Yeah, I never got into Transformers. I, like that was a little bit later. I discovered my by then. <laughs> so like toys toys were a thing of the past at that point but uh anyway on that note let's have some fun with caveman talking about retro toys this week oh lots and lots of stuff so i'm gonna ask you some retro toy trivia oh boy okay are you gonna, are you gonna ask me pokemon or toy uh, no, no, no. That would be Pokemon okay. or drug. We have to bring. I was worried you were going to ask me something like no, that, but no, no. Uh, this is no, still no. probably going to be quite difficult. No, it's, so. just, it's just trivia about retro toys. Okay. That's all it is. It should, yeah. it should be, it's a real trip back in time for everybody this week. So, all right. Here's one. What decade did Barbie make her debut? Oh, Barbie is a lot older than I think people realize. I'm going to say the 40s. It was the 50s. It was 1959, oh. actually, to be exact. Okay, I figured it was 40s or 50s. I went a little too old. All right, here's a, here's a kind of a tough one. What iconic staple of pretty much everyone's childhood actually started out as a wallpaper cleaning product? A uh, silly putty. Oh, so close. Play-Doh. Oh, okay. Play-Doh. All right, this toy used a rear illuminated black pegboard, which allowed kids to create different colored artistic creations. Yeah, that was... Can uh, you name this class? Yeah, oh, yeah. Light, bright, light, bright. It was like yes, it was the light, bright. That is yep. correct. Okay. It was, it was such a dumb toy. It's oh, like, yeah. you do the, I never had You do the 10 things they give you, and it's like, okay, now I got a bunch of pegs, but I don't have the black paper anymore. Yeah, it was so dumb. Okay, this mechanical drawing toy, Derek, comprised two white knobs and it was reset by shaking it upside down. It also resembled the more advanced tablets of today's generation. So Derek, can you name this red and white mechanical drawing toy? Of course, it was the Etch-A-Sketch. Yes, it was. Okay, so this toy that was based on a Jim Henson TV show became one of the most sought after toys in history by Christmas shoppers back in 1996. Was this the um, Tickle Me Elmo? Sure was. All right. This two-player action game and toy was first manufactured by the Marks Toy Company in 1964. That's the same company that made my dinosaurs, by the way. Okay. Uh, this this game actually, this this toy featured these two dueling robot boxers. Red Rocker and Blue Bomber, and they were mechanically oh, yeah. manipulated by the players. And the game's won when one player knocks the head off the opponent. What is the name of the game? Yeah, was that uh, Rock'em Sock'em Robots? Sure was. Okay, this toy consisted of a viewer to look at reels, which were these thin 
cardboard discs that contain these stereoscopic, sometimes 3D, transparent color photographs on film. Derek, what was the name of that toy? Oh, I love this. The uh, Viewmaster. Loved it. I remember oh. when, I, when I got the, I had the Viewmaster. I remember getting the ones from King Kong that came out in like 1978. All of a I, I can remember having probably about 30 or 40 of the different like cylinders, the discs that you put in. I can remember having like Disney cartoons. I think I had superhero ones. Oh, that's so many of them. That's one of those toys that, you know, it probably oh, yeah. is, it probably is better in my memory. I think if I probably ever held one in my hand today and looked at it, I'd be like, this sucks. But thinking but back, back then, when, you didn't have, when you didn't have Netflix and stuff to watch or VHS to watch anything on, that's how you watch the movie. I also remember for Star, again, for Star Wars, there was one that you actually cranked and you looked through and you cranked it and it had like a, maybe about a six or seven second segment of the movie star wars it was the where the tie fighter uh, gets blown up by the uh, the millennium falcon and okay. it was like you had to crank the side of it and look inside of it and watch i don't know if you can ever get that now okay no. next question i'm going to give you a one-year window so within one year what year were pogs the highest selling toy in the world oh it was the late 80s early 90s i'm going to say 1989 <laughs> close it was 1991 oh i was gonna say 90 and i was like no i should have said 90 all right staying the same way within one year what year was the rubik's cube the number one best-selling toy in the world oh that is a good question Mm -hmm. uh geez 83 close it was 1981 no, see, I was thinking the other way. I, I, I hedged. I thought it was 84 and I went 83. It was okay. And for the last question, we're going to go back to Star Wars. So as we mentioned, Star Wars came out in May of 1977, but the Star Wars action figures were not released until the next year, 1978. Yep. How many action figures comprised the initial line of the Star Wars figures? Oh, it wasn't that many. I think, I think it was eight. It was 12, actually. Oh, wow. 12. Do you happen to, do you happen to have a list of the 12? That's my, my follow-up question for oh, the night. Geez. My last question. Can you name all 12? No, but I mean, I could hazard some Try. guesses here. Try. Okay. Do you have a checklist? So I've got a checklist. I'll check Okay, well, it's got to be all the main characters. It's got to be Luke Skywalker. Luke ben Skywalker Kenobi. is one. That is correct. Ben, ben Kenobi. Ben Kenobi is one, correct. Darth Vader. Darth Vader is one, yes. Uh, Han Solo. Han Solo is one, yes. Chewbacca. Chewbacca, yes. That uh, Death Squad Commander we talked about earlier. Death Squad Commander was one of the t- original 12. Yeah. Very good. Yes. Uh, uh, Jawa? Yes, Jawa was one. Okay, that's we're up to seven. Uh, Stormtrooper? Stormtrooper, yes. Okay, so we're eight. Uh, oh, it's got to be the droids. C-3PO? Yep. R2-D2? Yep. Okay, that's ten. Yeah, uh, two more. Okay, hold on, hold on. I'll get there. Okay, let me think. First one, uh, Greedo. That is not correct. No. Uh, I don't know. Who who am I missing? Probably some obvious answers here. A female, perhaps. Did I not mention Princess Leia? No. Oh, I thought she was my, I thought I said Luke and Leia. And the last one was on Tatooine. Oh, Tuscan Raider. Yes, the sand people. Very good. Okay, there you go. Number 12, Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, Chewbacca, 
R2-D2, C-3PO, Darth Vader, the Stormtrooper, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Han Solo, Jawa, Sand People, and the Death Squad Commander. Don't know why they called him the Death Squad Commander. Kind of yeah, a it's a name bizarre name. Yeah, like they, it wasn't the Death Squad. They weren't down in like Nicaragua or something. So anyway, um, okay, so that's it. Toys of Generation X, we did it. Next time out, it's over to you to nominate a, a newer movie for us to watch. So maybe something from the millennial generation. It's it's like the yin to my yan of Gen X. So what movie do you want me to watch? Well, I've been uh, I've been struggling with this because I, I I really just haven't been able to to land on it. And and like we've said in the past, I have a list, and I thought I'll just do game time decisions. So I think I'm going to go with. I, and I think you've seen this movie before because often I'll I'll run a list past you, and you'll be like, yeah, mm-hmm. but but hopefully it's been a while since you've seen it. It's been a while since I've seen it. I, I was thinking epic again. Remember before I said, let's do something epic. And we sure. did well, uh, epic movies. Escape. We haven't done a lot of them. Yet. Yeah. And, uh, and we did like Lord of the Rings, like the big, and I thought, you know what? I'm, I'm sort of in that mood. Like I want to do something big, the extravagant, an epic of some sort. I want to go to, uh, the 2000 best picture Oscar winner starring Russell Crowe gladiator. Oh, okay. Have you seen it before? I assume you have. <sighs> I want to say, I want to say that I, I have seen it, but I have like no memory of it. Well, that's good. I don't know if I saw it in the theater. I feel like I went on a date to see this movie. And for some reason, I have a memory that the girl I went with just loved Russell Crowe. And so I was like, I don't like this very much. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, but yeah, so we'll watch the 2000 film Gladiator. And then wasn't um, Joaquin Phoenix in that one too? Yes, he was. Nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I don't remember much about his role. Like, for it should be better. Well, yeah. So this is good that I'm going to go back and watch it. Yeah. Again, I I enjoy this movie. I've I haven't seen it in a while. But I mean, as a Dungeons and Dragons nerd, mm-hmm. this kind of thing certainly appeals to me. It was nominated for 12 Academy Awards. It won five of them, including Best Picture and uh, Best Lead Actor for Russell Crowe. Um, so I mean, I, I got to think, even if it's been a while since you saw it, that there's a lot to like about it. But Let's uh, let's give it a watch. We'll come back next week. We'll talk about Gladiator, and then we'll go back to our '80s uh, movie or '80s year draft or pop nice. culture draft. Nice, we will. Well, well like I say, uh, Gladiator came out after 1989, so that's outside my wheelhouse. So this should be good. So until then, you come back next week. We'll do Gladiator, and this is Chris McBrien on behalf of myself, Derek Myers, and our producer Sloth. I want to say thanks for listening to Pop Culture World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 